OddCert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay respect to elders, past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the OzCert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and for this episode, I'm joined by Ivano Bongiovanni, a lecturer at University of Queensland and chair in digital economy in Brisbane. He has a focus on cybersecurity and design thinking. We're also joined by Professor Ryan Coe, the chair and director of UQ Cybersecurity. He's also the deputy head of ITEE, a school within the Faculty of Engineering at UQ. We'll then get an update from my co-host Beck and OzCert's Mike Carey-Smith and Mike Holm about how OzCert is working with the University of Queensland and some of the learnings from OzCert's most recent quarterly report, as well as an update on next year's OzCert conference. We look forward to bringing you the best of the Australian cybersecurity industry with fascinating insights, great stories from the field, and lessons you can take back to your workplace to better protect your organisation's critical assets. Thanks for joining us on the show. Can can the two of you just kind of give us a bit of background on each other? Maybe if we start with you, Ryan, where you're from and what you do? Um, Ryan Cole, I'm a professor at University of Queensland, and I, I lead the cybersecurity program there, both the teaching and the research aspects of it. I used to be in the industry. I was working at Hewlett Packard Labs, working on software products for security products at HP, and then moved to academia in New Zealand for a few years and then came over here to Queensland. What about you, Ivano? I'm Ivano Bongiovanni. I'm a lecturer in information security governance at the University of Queensland, so teaching together with, uh, with Ryan in our uh, Master of Cybersecurity. My background is in risk management. I was equally in industry, but in physical security mainly, Italian police, Winter Olympic Games 2006 in, in Turing. And then I joined academia and I started my career in, in risk management and cybersecurity management in academia. So that's an interesting, both of you have gone from the commercial world into academia. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I mean, it can't be yeah. for the money. No, yeah. no, 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 probably not for the money. Yeah. <laughs> you want to share yours first? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's, a, it's yeah. a, an interest for trying to build research with impact. So having seen how impact happens in the real world, it's always good to be able to step back and start asking yourself relevant questions and then see how those questions apply in the real world, which is something that you don't necessarily have time to do sometimes in the commercial world, I would say. Hmm. Is that, yeah. is that similar for you, Ryan? Um, kind of related. I think one of the, the key moments for me was when I was at Euler Packard, really working on those kind of new products that we're trying to push out to the customers. We started proposing a few user-centric, user-empowering things that could be the future. That was like 12 years ago. And we were rejected for our ideas. So that made me think about, you know, what exactly can I do uh, to research into a new line of uh, user empowering user centric type of security tools that's so, really interesting yeah. so really the two of you have seen you've seen real world problems yeah. thought about solutions and realized that in the commercial world the time to be able to do those solutions just doesn't exist yeah. and academia gives you the opportunity to go and ex- explore yeah. those and develop them and then i eventually imagine that those ideas recycle back into the commercial world eventually <laughs> You know, in a weird way, yeah, it, it goes full circle, yeah. Yeah, right. and, 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 you know, ideally now the work is really trying to push our research out there and establish connections with industry mm. partners to make it relevant and impactful. 
How is the University of Queensland working to build that pipeline of cybersecurity talent? The approach that we have is to design a framework which allows many disciplines to come together. So mm-hmm. Ivano's from the business school, I'm from the School of IT and Electrical Engineering. And we have many others like from the criminology group and from even from medicine and so on and so forth. We have policy researchers. And so all of us coming together, about 48 academics, designing this degree structure around having a kind of a focus on interdisciplinary aspects of cybersecurity and then branching into specializations. And then the interesting thing is preparing for the future would be a capstone at the end. So students going through that will have some industry placement experience. Hopefully they can impress their the employers of the future. Embedded into this will be the alignment to what is called the NICE framework from NIST. The NICE framework is basically the results of lots of different studies across the info, info security to basically suss out what's required of jobs in this, in this career. So we align every course that we have to, to that framework. And of course, we also have some, some exciting research as well. And I think Ivano can yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just uh, probably just one more thing on, on what we do. I think uh, uh, probably if we can synthesize everything is is giving them a holistic approach on cybersecurity. Our master is, is quite interesting in that the students can really pick different streams. So it's not just a technical cybersecurity, it's not just cryptography, but they have an opportunity to, to go down the track of building their skills in leadership in cybersecurity, in criminology, and so on and so forth. So it's really this, this overview of what cybersecurity is, not just from a technical perspective, but how it is business decisions. And that's one of the big challenges that cyber has faced over the last few years is that everyone thinks it's coders and highly technical. And if you're not a network engineer or a software engineer, you really can't be in cyber. But that's not the reality, is it now? No. I mean, when you no. talk about, for example, even marketing and education is a part of cyber. Yeah. That's right. um, and that's, is, yeah. is that why you've gone that interdisciplinary approach? Yeah, yeah that's right. This is the, the third degree that I'm working on. So, you know, the first one's probably a Lada, then a Toyota. Now I hope this is a Ferrari. <laughs> so this is my, my hope. That one thing that I saw over the three iterations was basically the lack of acceptance of a diversity of thought and disciplines. Mm. So hence... One of the key interesting points about our degree is that we accept people from any background, any okay. degree. So you don't have to have a comp science degree to join our Masters of Cybersecurity. So there's hope for me. That's hope <laughs> for everyone. There's yeah. always hope. Yeah. That's <laughs> hope for everyone. Yeah. So in that, when you talk about preparing that next generation, what are some of the things that you do specifically within the degree? Because obviously, you know, people have a perception of what academic learning is about. But how do you actually prepare people for this world, particularly when it's changing so quickly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say probably um, trying to give them as much practical and hands-on experience as possible. As, as Ryan was mentioning before, that goes from organizing capstone projects where they are seconded with an industry partner, supervised by an industry supervisor, an academic supervisor, and, and giving them that hands-on experience to also embedding as many practical cases, as many case studies and interactive cases as possible in our in our courses. So, you know, we, we kind of know that theory is important and it's good to give students that, but to really make sure that they are prepared for the real world requirements, we need to give them hands-on experience as well. That's a lot like the traditional apprenticeship yes, model, isn't it? Right, that, you yeah. know, we've seen for, you know, since the time of Da Vinci, you know, it's, it's, it's hundreds of years old of having people working practically while learning 
alongside. Is that really the is that the kind of thing yes. you're trying to build here? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of applied knowledge in cybersecurity. And I think knowing the concept is one thing, but being able to apply it sometimes requires some mentor mm. or somebody who can take you as an apprentice mm. to to show you the ropes of how to approach it. Mm. And we don't want to expose them to just one or two. We want to expose them to a variety of mentors mm. and a variety of different experiences. So we try to pack the experiences across the courses and then culminating in the capstone project where they can apply on their own, show some independence and application. Absolutely. So, I mean, one of the big challenges the cyber industry faces is a, is a skills shortage. You know, yes. I think at the moment, the industry has got about 26,500 people that kind of call themselves cyber people mm. across the country. How do you attract people in to meet? Because obviously we're going to have a... Sh- Everyone keeps talking about this shortfall that's mm. there and it's, yeah. it's expanding. That's that's a very good question, I would say. It's probably... It's also a matter, I would say, of, of competition, if you want, right? Because, uh, you know, in, in cyber, the, the talent issue is not just in Australia. It's in very different countries. There's a lot of movements around, uh, you know, attracting the best cybersecurity talent. I, I personally believe it's something that should start, I would say, at a policy level with the government's making investments around uh, cybersecurity and believing, you know, firmly believing that that is the future. And as, as you rightly pointed out, there is a, there is a shortage of skills. Well, we, we need to shape policies and, and create programs that really help us uh, build that. Now, last year, we had the Australian Cybersecurity Strategy, the, the new version that kind of a component where there's investments made in attracting the cyber talent. I think it's really kind of a, a vertical type of uh, approach going from the policy level into the ground with universities mm. and, and employers attracting us. Besides teaching, I think we, we try to encourage the students to think about how to engage. And then through that, they, they inspire others, their peers to come along mm. as well. We work very closely with the government agencies and also the growth centers uh, like Off Cyber, mm. for example. Uh, we work with them to basically to put out put our name and our programs out there to say, hey, we are available. We're happy to, to contribute to the teaching. And in fact, if other institutions are able to replicate what we do, that'll be even much more fantastic and then we can scale much mm. more. So so I think there's, there's everyone plays a part in the whole industry. Mm. It's not just us, but we, we try to be that. Yeah. So do you, do you yeah. give students discounts on fees if they can bring extra students in on referral? <laughs> we haven't figured that's that a, out. That's a yet. good business model we can consider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, just one last thing. We are lucky enough at UQ to have OSERT on our premises. So mm. that's that's also a good exactly. a good point, a good selling point, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Tell me, so obviously diversity is a, is a pretty substantial challenge across cyber. I mean, there is still a very big perception that it's it's a male-dominated yeah. industry. It's a, it's a highly technical industry. It tends to be coders and engineering type of people. That's the perception that's out there. What are you doing to kind of break that stereotype and attract women, attract people of different cultures, different age groups? How are you going about attracting that diversity? When we designed this uh, marketing of this degree and all the programs that we have, we intentionally went away from the hoodie images (laughs) and we portrayed uh, women in different roles and different pictures and, Mm. and our collaterals are all uh, basically have women fronting them. So it's very intentional. We, we use colors that are bright, cheery, very positive and encouraging. Mm. And then the other thing is that we embed the program with women mentors 
And we engage with people like the AWSN. And to cap it up, we also have a scholarship as well. So working with Hewlett Packard, it, it was great that I was part of Hewlett Packard in the past. So it was, it was yeah, a good Good, good to build that relationship. Yeah, good to build that relationship. So with uh, thanks to Rachel from HP. So she was she's an advocate for women in cyber. So we were able to have different scholarships given to the master students. Some of them are... Actually, uh, right now, the, the very first awardee has just gotten a job, mm-hmm. actually, in, in the sector. So we're very proud of her. And, and she was mentored mm-hmm. by an HP expert as well. Uh, and plus we, do, yeah, yeah. plus, we also do research in the field, right? Because at the yeah. end of the day, as an academic institution, it's one of our main areas. We're currently conducting a piece of research in collaboration with the Australian Women in Security Net to try and understand what are actually these barriers that, that women face when they try to join the cybersecurity career and how we can overcome the barriers by probably redesigning the profession a little bit. We also host different events. So one of our events called Girls Do Cyber. So mm-hmm. it engages high school students and then we work with the ASD on their ASD Cyber Experience mm-hmm. program. And then we, we bring the high school students, uh, the female high school students, to UQ and let them experience and let them speak to real-life ASD uh, staff who talk about what they do in their day, daily lives, which we don't really see in the books or in publications. As well as bringing that diversity of different people from cultures, age groups, yeah. genders, and all those kinds of things, it, you obviously need a lot to, to bring different skills into cyber. I mean, that you know we, we've said it a few times already, it's not just engineering types of roles. What are some of the key skills you're looking to bring in and also to develop? Besides the usual technical uh, skills, we are looking to develop leadership skills. That's where the business school is focusing on. So they'll get a very good top-notch MBA type of training Mm -hmm. focused on cyber. Absolutely. Uh, And also criminology. So there is a big gap in the way uh, we are looking at it. So cybersecurity is always looked at from a technical patching, software patching point of view, but very few people look at it actually from, from a crime point of view. So we're trying to encourage more people to consider that as a career. Not uh, the life of crime, but the life the, of stopping uh, crime. <laughs> the life yeah, of preventing yeah, yeah. crime, that's right. <laughs> and also to understand how cyber crime works and how it's different from physical crime. Mm. Yeah, so you get to see a few of us, you know, like Ivano mm. was from the police. I mm. was a military policeman in the past. Oh, okay. You get a few of us actually with, with such an experience and, yeah. and applying it to cyber actually yeah. is, is quite helpful. And that, that's one of the things people yeah. kind of forget is that like cyber crime is worth more than the international drug trade now. Mm. Like right. it's, yeah. it's, it's a serious crime business. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why probably it naturally attracts people with that kind of yeah. law enforcement type of background. But, but it's absolutely true that you're kind of trying to break that, that stereotypical image of, of the, the hoodie that, that uh, Ryan was describing before. And hey, you, if, you, if you go and talk to uh, top executives in organizations, everybody keeps saying that cybersecurity is everybody's business, right? Well, if you really want to, make, want to make it everybody's business, we need to really be able to attract people with different skill sets to mm. be able to kind of uh, shape it in a nice way altogether. You've talked about leadership and the criminology aspect to go along with some of the technical skills that people need. Is there something that you bring into your into that master's degree and into that pipeline that you think people kind of don't expect? Is there something that you bring in that is a bit surprising to people? Yeah, I would say probably personally speaking, as, as I'm the convener of the, of the leadership stream in the master, and what we're trying to bring is as many 
different perspectives as possible because at the end of the day i mean we, we we're talking about a master that aims to a critical thinking a critical approach in our students vis-a-vis cybersecurity, right so i personally am a big fan of human-centric cybersecurity. that's why i bring into the classroom uh, a lot of my experience running design-led projects and design thinking as well because that's what really it, it's a nice structured process that allows you to design systems that are finally really human-centric from that perspective so do you bring in psychologists or sociologists or uh, anthropologists or, or any of those kinds of people yeah because... yeah we try and, and as many guest speakers as possible in our courses and and yes the idea is to try and bring uh, different types of people with different backgrounds to the fore just to give the students that kind of holistic perspective that I was discussing before. Other other streams such as for instance criminology yeah. are, are, are even doing a lot of work in that sense. Yeah so mm-hmm. I think one of the surprising things that many of my students experienced was that uh, they didn't realize that cyber was beyond the technical part of what they perceived so the stereotype was actually broken which mm-hmm. is a great satisfying thing for us. We we kind of see that they, they start to realize that as we share our personal experience, like I shared about how I worked at the Interpol with some mm. of the different partners. Uh, as a technical guy, I realized that I needed to consult the psychologists, mm. the criminologists, the sociologists, the, even the linguists to solve certain crime. Mm. Right? Sharing that experience illuminated them and then our assignments are actually intentionally built such that they would have to draw upon different disciplines. And, so they're not just yeah. typical, you know, hacking exercises. No, they no. are multidisciplinary. Yeah. You need to, maybe there's a technical element, but you also need to think in a different mm. way and you need to problem solve in diverse ways. That's right. Mm. One of the first assignments that I gave in my course is actually a, a, a model after the Cyber 912 challenge, which mm. is a, what, 912 meaning um, after 9-11 scale attack on, uh, on cyber infrastructure. So... In this, in this assignment, uh, students are given the chance to pretend to be uh, policy advisors of a fictitious prime minister. Hmm. And, and they have to say, okay, based on all this intel that is collected, how should they recommend the, the prime minister to look at different departments to engage hmm. and to reduce the immediate damage and to recommend the long-term policies for the country? That's amazing. Just to finish up, obviously with this skill shortage, people see cyber as potentially a, a long-term career path. What's some of the advice that you would give someone entering cybersecurity as a career? I'd say have a very open mind and try to get as much experience as possible. Join some of the peak bodies and get to network with different people. Don't get fixated on one path or the other. Never be too religious about tools. <laughs> I think it's really about building your own journey and your own story because you know I mean with with the growing interest in cybersecurity very soon having a degree and having certain types of certifications are not going to make the cut anymore right so if you really want to go from good to great make sure that whatever decision you make is a decision that shows your recruiter that you're going through a journey. You might have made changes along the path, but you've gone through a journey and you were really motivated by your passion in the, in the field. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Anthony. Anthony. Yeah. Thanks. Now it's over to the team from AusCert. AusCert's business director, Beck Cheb, chats with Mike Carey-Smith and Mike Holm about how AusCert is working with UniQ and some of the exciting developments coming from everyone's favourite CERT. Thanks, Anthony. Really excited to be back for another month. And this month, I'm joined by Mark Carey-Smith, Principal Analyst at OSET, and Mike Holmes, Senior Manager, is also back because he loves talking. Thanks for joining me, guys. 
You're welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> Everyone knows Mike likes talking. It's not a new thing. <laughs> so I thought I'd start with you, Mark, because, you know, there's an, obviously a lot we can talk about leading on from Ivano and Ryan's conversation there. We're very proud to be supporting UQ Cyber. It's a great partnership that we have. You know, it's they're part of our family. I keep calling them part of the family because we are UQ, all one UQ. So can you tell me a little bit about how you're helping them currently in the masters that they're running? Sure. So one of the courses in the cybersecurity masters is Comp 7711, Cyber Incident Response. And that course is new in the current semester. It's all about how to plan an incident response function. Dr. Ken Radke is basically teaching that course. I've just helped out a little bit by doing two lectures, one on identifying and prioritizing incidents. And the second one is about creating incident response policy and some thoughts about the international context for incident response. That's great. I mean, obviously there's a lot that relates from also as a team that, you know, that correlation makes sense to me. So further on from that, there is some student capstone projects. So I've, this is a whole new world for me. I'm really excited about us working in with students and, and being part of that. And, you know, heck, some of those new ideas and research that they're doing is super exciting. What capstone projects are you supporting students on at the moment? So, well, first of all, for anyone who doesn't know, a capstone project is, is an in, usually an industry-centered project to allow students to get some real-world experience. And it's something that also it's wanted to do for some time, so it's really exciting that we're able to do it this year. So we have two project students with us at the moment, Awa and Archit, and they're looking at, so one project is looking at the certificate transparency logs, the, the logs that get created by certificate authorities that, that are part of the program, so that every time a digital certificate has been issued, you get some metadata in that log stream and that stream of info can be analysed to determine things like creation of domains that are like legitimate domains. So one of the things that um, attackers often do is that they create certificates and registered domains that are very similar to legitimate domains. They might have a very slight difference in their spelling or they might register, a, say, a .com domain rather than an .edu domain. So people can analyse that stream of logs to try and detect potentially malicious or at least suspicious creation of certificates. We can use that information to, to alert our analysts to the fact that there could be something worth investigating further. That's, so that's one of our projects. That, that's an amazing project. I love that. I feel like it almost takes our phishing takedown service into being proactive instead of reactive only. You know, it's, it's really going to broaden that idea and, and catch things much quicker, which is super exciting. Yeah, yeah, What's the really other project? Good. So the other project is, it's going to be a tool which enables a modular approach to the use of different vulnerability scanning services. So the first one we'll be starting with will be Shodan. And the idea is that we can enable members or perhaps our analysts, it's yet to be determined exactly how we're going to use the tool, to access already existing vulnerability data that could be relevant to them in such a way that they can make use of it to be proactive in their cybersecurity risk management. It, isn't that interesting when we're talking about incident response subjects and now these projects are, are moving into that proactive space, it's really exciting that we're all, we're all not just responding anymore, we're actually looking and seeking to protect as well. Well, exactly, because um, the more proactive we can be, 
the more likely we are to be able to address threats in their earliest stages, and that's really what we're what we're aiming for. What a good balance. Indeed. <laughs> now, I, I um, there's so many things we could talk about with UQ Cyber. I don't know really where to stop and start. But do you know a little bit about, you know, we've got some UQ research students. What is happening in that space? Yeah, that's true. Some of our OSCERT staff are assisting um, degree research degree students in their research. There's a PhD student and a couple of honours students. One student in particular is doing some research into how certs function, what does best practice look like from a cert perspective. So that's really great for us to have a hand in not just assisting research students to, to progress, but also having a hand in what is going to be you know, cutting edge research in terms of best practices in this space. And that's great to go into another side and not just focus on the technology, right? Yeah, exactly, because that's more a governance kind of function. And, you know, cybersecurity is a process, people and a technology domain. So it's important to have a hand in all of those domains in order to have a holistic approach. Fantastic. The other thing that I love, and and some of them are actually in the office with us today, was we've actually got a couple of UQ students that work for us casually. So, you know, trying out what it's like to work in our analyst team and and go through that roster. And they bring such a new wealth of experience. You know, they're not experienced in our industry, but the way they think is so different. And what they're learning in their courses is, is brought into a different format. So... Yeah, exactly. And that's that's part of the reason why we wanted to be involved in Capstone Student Projects for some time, because it's it's part of what we see as our responsibility of giving back to the cybersecurity community to enable people to to have real world industry experience, to empower them to progress in their careers and basically to, to be part of the, the greater good. Awesome. I can't wait to see what we're going to do next. It's, it's always um, something new happening, which is nice. All right, Mike, I might move on to you and and talk about what's been happening in Auscert since our last episode. The quarter three report Mm. was released, which I hope everyone's reading those. It's giving an interesting snapshot in, this was kind of born out of our year in review and going, should we be waiting a whole year to tell people what's been happening? So we'll make it more timely so you can understand a bit more about trends. Is there anything interesting that you'd like to highlight from this quarter? Look, honestly, the the quarter three snuck up on me. I couldn't believe it when um, we actually published that and I sort of looked back and went, wow, the year's nearly over. Um, Some things have changed, but some things have stayed the same. So we're still seeing a huge amount of phishing absolutely massive and it's although it's highest on our incident list obviously there's a lot of other stuff going on I think it's worth just sort of stopping and thinking about this because Mark's quite rightly pointed out that it's a people process technology domain in cybersecurity and phishing is very much in the people domain so we have a technology uh, reaction I suppose in in our phishing takedown service so we're helping you with the technology side of things but the statistics are telling us that it's it's such a prevalent attack. There is so much of it going on. Now, there's things that obviously you can do it uh, on your side. There was a really good talk at a conference I was at yesterday, the um, AHEX Cybersecurity Summit, a talk by uh, Jess Dodson, who resides up here in Brisbane. And she was going through what it really means to be a technologist now and to make sure that all the actions that you take in your technology domain are backed up by, you know, you're doing this because of the people, you're not doing it because of the technology. And I think phishing is where this this really strikes a balance. Every single day, I still keep seeing poorly constructed email notifications or, or whatever that are still teaching users the wrong message. 
So the message is, you know, think before you click on a link. Now, we know that just saying that to end user of technology hasn't worked over the 20 odd years that we've been doing this. So we need to think about different ways of presenting that information. So yeah, that just saying no is not totally, going to work. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, have a look in your organisation. How are you managing phishing? Because this affects everyone now. It used to be the domain of banks. It's, it's well and truly the domain of everyone. Everyone is affected by phishing. I can't stress that enough. It's across the entire workforce. So if, if, you've, got, if you've got people working in an office, they're gonna be phished. If you've got people working in con the construction industry, at some point, they're gonna be phished. So think about what you're doing in the people domain. Definitely use our service for the technology domain. We can help you take the, the phishing sites off the internet. That's something we're incredibly good at. We've been doing that now for some, what, 28 years, is it? Oh dear. Yeah, I'd have to do the maths. <laughs> I'm amazed at the stats from that phishing takedown service though. Like it's it's something that we're, oh. it's, you know, it's also bread and butter, obviously. It's yeah. something we've been doing a long time. And, and we're very successful because of that network across totally. the globe with other cert teams. But the volume is just, oh, yeah. it's astounding. And that's why I think in one of the other podcasts, one of our senior analysts, Eric, actually tooled up a whole new system to manage that technology side of things, you know, looking at the phishing sites, analysing them, seeing if they're still up, taking them down, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, that was one thing that struck me in the in the, the Q3 report. But the other thing that struck me is in, in the proactive domain, uh, again, and as, as, as you pointed out, Mark, you know, you, you need to also look in the proactive side of things. One of our services is the MSINs, and we've singled that one out in the, the Q3 report, and we've reported on, you know, what, what MSINs were going out. Now, bear in mind, an MSIN is about your environment. So it's specific to your member, you know, IPs, domains, whatever you've told us um, a part of your... So make sure they're up to date in the member portal. Oh, good plug for the member portal. <laughs> yep, thank you. Make sure they're up to date. But anyway, one the, the highest one, again, has been the vulnerable service MSIN. So that is usually a publicly exposed service or, or, or system or whatever, which is, is usually either misconfigured or it's an old piece of software that's vulnerable to something and it's still exposed to the internet. Now, in some cases, uh, you may not be able to uh, remediate that. It might be that you've got uh, legacy clients that need to keep using an encryption cipher or something like that. So if that's the case and we're notifying you about that MSIN over and over and over, you might want to uh, note that with us and ask us to mute that particular MSIN. And the reason I say that is we have actually seen a few members get caught out with their auditors who said, hey, also it's been telling you about this particular uh, vulnerable service for a long time and you've done nothing about it. So just take a, a take take some experience that we've seen with some of our members. Log it in the risk register. Log yes. it in the risk register and mute it. Totally. <laughs> I just wanted to jump in for a second and talk a little bit about what Mike was was mentioning in relation to phishing and being aware of your own internal practice and being aware of what your internal comms people, for example, are doing in relation to the, the information they send to your staff and to your customers and trying to make sure they don't look like phishing messages themselves. To me, it really, it really highlights the importance of a couple of things. One is Cybersecurity awareness training needs to be pervasive and meaningful and really engage people in a way that's meaningful for them. The once a year online training is not going to cut it. The second thing is the importance of cybersecurity professionals collaborating with professionals of every other stripe within an organization 
We need people who are really good at marketing and really good at comms. And when you can collaborate with those types of people, you get a better result in your internal awareness campaigns or your external awareness campaigns. And you are creating connections by doing that collaboration. So if you're able to collaborate with some marketing people, they learn something, you learn something, everybody benefits. It's a ripple effect that you can create through collaboration. Win-win. That is wonderful. I'm going to click like, retweet that one. That's fantastic. Thanks for your input, Mike. So I guess all this talk of phishing is a, a nice segue into my next topic, which is our instant submission portal. So, for, you know, for many years, members have said, I want to send you information. Mm. I want to send you this dodgy looking file. <laughs> and we say email it to us and that, you know, unsues a whole bunch of fun things with firewalls and mail filters and <laughs> etc. So the instant submission portal, Mike, hit us. Exactly. One of our analyst infra people here, Ramiz, has uh, spearheaded this one. Look at me using management words like spearhead. Fantastic. So basically, this is... The, the dumping ground, you can send whatever you like to it. Obviously, it's sandboxed and it's designed specifically so that we can take whatever you throw at it, whatever malware, whatever dodgy links, whatever, and it will be logged with our analyst team for them to look at. Now, you can do it in two different ways. If, if you just want to report something to us, and this is actually really important for the community, and a number of the things that we do, like our phishing takedown service, we're collecting all of that information about phishing URLs, malware URLs, that sort of stuff, and we're disseminating it out either through MISP or a malicious URL feed or whatever so that you can all benefit from, from that intelligence. The incident portal is a great way to just flick us a, a URL. If you, if you don't want to send an email, you don't want to waste time on it, you can just basically flick that off to us and it gets analysed and chucked into the various feeds that we've got, the whole community can then benefit from that. If on the other hand you've got something that you actually want us to have a look at and get back to you with a response and say, this is what it is, these are the indicators of compromise, this is how the attack works, the, the techniques used, there's a little tick box in that incident form, just simply tick the box and, it's set, and that, that is the trigger for our analysts to actually get back to you with a, a very specific analysis of uh, what's in there. Now, that brings me to another point. Everyone knows about things like VirusTotal or online uh, services like Cuckoo Sandbox, those sorts of things. You can toss your files and things at those services and have it sort of analysed, I guess, automatically. Uh, problem with that, of course, is if you toss something with personal inf personally identifiable information in it or something sensitive to your organisation, it's there for everyone else to, to grab. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. It's probably a good idea to, to spread that information, actually, because a, a lot of IT people uh, even aren't aware of that, that little catch. So when we do this, obviously, we will use our own on-premise sandboxes rather than using um, cloud-based services. And there's even a tick box in the portal if you're sending us maybe a, a Word document or a PDF that, that you suspect might have you know, your, your company information in it, there's another tick box and that says, you know, do not share this file beyond us. So you've got a, a member agreement with us, so you're, you're protected from an NDA point of view already, but that just tells us, you know, never let that file out to any of the cloud analysis services. So that's the incident portal. I'd really encourage everyone to use it. Like I said, any file, any URL, we want to know about it. 
So the, the easiest way to understand how to use that portal, we have got an instruction guide that's on our website under publications and you will need to use your portal credentials to access that. So it's not open to everybody. It is a member only service. Okay, I think that's that's enough to hit everybody with. There's been a lot happening. We can see the end of the year coming from here, which is very exciting. I think, I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to a break after all this. I guess I should actually mention conference next year. That's, you know, oh, that's, yes. that's my other baby. <laughs> so yeah, you'll be, you'll be seeing things very soon with the launch of the call for presentations. Registrations will open. So if you're keen to spend some end of year budget, that will be an option for you as well. The website is looking amazing. I'm, I'm very excited every time I look at it. So very keen to get everyone's feedback and, and looking forward to being back on the path to the, the May conference back at the Gold Coast next year. It will be hybrid mode again, in case you have missed that. We wanna make sure it's accessible to everybody, but I'm hoping to see lots of familiar faces in a real room again, because we got that window in this year and I think next year will be even more amazing. Yeah, here, here. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you, Beck. And Mark. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the AusCert podcast. Thanks to our guests, Ivano and Ryan, and the team from AusCert. We'll be back each month with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit auscert.org.au.